You're listening to the Rediscovering Biblical Manhood podcast. We're growing men who fear the Lord, but do not fear their identity in Christ. The enemy is hard at work in our fallen world. So come on, join us in fighting for the restoration of men's hearts through the church, the word, and our risen Savior, Jesus. Well, pack it up, pack it in. Let us begin, Jay. We are back in the booth for another episode of Rediscovering Biblical Manhood. Welcome back this morning. So, Jay, we've covered a number of different um, stages within this idea of the moral manhood kind of model that Eldridge has put forward. And, and we also understood that this has come from different psychologists, different cognitive theorists as to how does a man develop through his stages of life. And we started back in the beloved son. Then we rolled through cowboy around the 12 to 19 age into warrior around 20 and onwards. Two weeks ago was lover. Then it was the king. And then today we step into the final stage with a precursor that both Jay and I are pointed towards this stage, but we are not currently in this stage, but have had plenty of offline conversations around this stage. So Jay, I have set the stage for you to talk, for I to talk about... The sage. The sage. The sage it is. So why don't you take us away and lead us in, wade us into this, uh, this period of time of a man's journey. And you know, we're probably 13 to 15 years from this stage of life, Chica, you and I personally. The Bible has a lot to say about this stage of life. It is not respected in our society, in the Western culture in the United States, but traditionally it was respected, and that is elderhood, right? Elderhood, and, and the Bible has so much to say about it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to unpacking it with you and, and talking about why this stage of life is perhaps the most critical in manhood and has the most to offer back to all the other stages that have come before it. So in doing research for this episode, I wanted to go and find out what the etymology of sage was as the adjective. So you're going to get a kick out of this, Jay. So sage is defined as being wise, as being judicious, as being prudent. But where did it come from? And that's what I was interested in. And it actually comes from the what they describe as the vulgar Latin, sapius, which speaks to having a taste or having good taste or being wise in terms of the taste of something. And so that's interesting that that's been flipped now. Obviously, that there's a herb called sage as well, which in all of my research, was I was getting a little confused on that. I'm like, which sage are we talking about? But this idea of being judicious actually comes from a taste uh, back in the 1500s, I believe. As we characterize that as wisdom in today's conversation, Jay, um, where would you like to begin? Well, you know, I think uh, Job 12.12 could be a good place to begin, just thinking about the definition you just read. You know, the sage has had a taste of life, for sure, right? And Job 12.12 says that wisdom belongs to the aged and understanding to the old. And Proverbs says it like this in 2029, the glory of young men is their strength. We've spent a lot of time talking about that. Gray hair is the splendor of the old. And so, you know, if I was just thinking about your definition, which I didn't know you were going to read, you know, the sages had a pretty large taste of life, and now they've got some things to offer back. I think one of the caveats give up front beyond the fact that you and I are not sages, so we're just commenting on a stage of life we haven't been in, which we need to do with humility and respect, is that being older doesn't necessarily grant sagehood. You know, one look at our political leaders. 
would tell you that being old does not necessarily confer wisdom or good leadership. So there's, there's, you know, you can be a fool and be an old fool. You can have lived a tremendously long life and have learned nothing. And so that's not what John Eldridge is talking about. That's not what the Bible is talking about. The Bible is talking about those who have traversed life and have learned from it. And now they have something to offer back if we are only willing to ask and listen. That's interesting. I was having a discussion with my wife the other night about how we're all born male or female. You know, that's a gender issue. But then you grow up into boys. And I think back of the, the when we said beloved son into warrior, right? And then we grow to become a man or a cowboy. But then this choice piece is very interesting because you could stay in cowboy well into your 70s, 80s, 90s if you chose, right? Um, but then as a man, we become a husband or a father by choice, right? But to your point, actually choosing the role of sage, I mean, you're a male by birth, but you are a king by choice. You are a sage by choice versus it just being a natural development stage for you. Yeah, you have to. I was reading this great book on leadership and the guy who's totally a sage. I love him as an author. And he was a previous CEO. He had a chapter in his book called You Gotta Wanna. Like you got to want to do it. And, you know, the ultimate sage here is God, right? God has all wisdom. And the, the thing about being a sage is your life is not done. In the West, we celebrate youth. We celebrate it so much. We hide the old. We hide the dying. We think they have nothing to offer us, you know, especially since the 1960s in this country. You know, we just were suspicious of the old. They're the man trying to hold us down, out with the old, in with the new. Think about all these sayings, but the reality is those who have lived a lot of life and have learned from it have so much to offer us. And if you're over the age of 25, I'm going to give you a little glimpse into what it looks like to be a sage. If you could go back and talk to a, an earlier version of yourself. So I'm 47. If I could go back and talk to 20-year-old Jay, I, I, I tell my wife, I only need 60 seconds to change the trajectory of that guy's life because I would have so much to offer just from the life I've lived. And in 60 seconds, I could impart to him wisdom that would completely change his life if he was only willing to listen. Now, would 20-year-old Jay be willing to listen? Likely not. But that's also a function of how we've moved societally, that we've taught our young not to respect our old. We've taught our young not to expect anything from the old. And so we put him out to pasture, and our society grows more immature. And we careen off the edge of life here. And so you got to choose it, Chica. You got to want to. And then you got to understand, Sage, and from all my reading and all my observation, Sagehood is about humility and the desire to offer to those who are willing to seek and listen. Talk more about that. As you were speaking, I was thinking through this idea of does the Sage actively pour into others or does the Sage sit on throne as the old king in the throne room and wait for others to come too? Or is it a blend of both? I mean, and again, not speaking as a sage, but observing sages and having met a few, not a lot, not a lot of great sages, but we've, I think hopefully we've all been blessed to meet at least one. I think they do both, Chica. You know, the one thing that I think marks a sage, and you can read this in Eldridge's works and in other works, is to some extent they wait, but they're not waiting because they want to be begged. They understand that 
you know, the Bible says, those who have ears to hear, let them listen. You know, great sages understand that most people can't absorb the wisdom they have because they're not interested in hearing it. And so they will wait essentially to be sought out in a lot of cases. But in other cases, sages can move actively, right? Especially, particularly Christians in ministry. I mean, this could be the greatest era of ministry because you have so much to offer and you're putting it out there, making yourself available. So I think great sages make themselves available, Chica. But to some extent, they also wait because they're looking for people that really want to sit at their feet and learn. And that that's probably an interesting combination that I can't speak to you today. I'm in the middle of my kinghood because that could probably be very frustrating. I suspect many in our society raised the way we are. Don't think they have anything to offer anymore. Oh, I'm old. I don't understand the technology. I don't understand the pace of the world anymore. And so they, I think, unfortunately, retire, not because they're waiting for someone to ask them, but because I think a lot of sages in our society don't think they actually have anything to offer. I'm going to throw a couple of names at you, and I want you to tell me sage, not sage. Okay, that's your answer, sage, not sage. Uh, And I'm going just based off the proverb you spoke to, you know, the glory of the young is in their strength, the gray hair of experience is the splendor of the old. When I say Obi-Wan. I think Obi-Wan's totally a sage. When I say Darth Vader. Uh, Not a sage. Bad king. When I say Merlin. Merlin was a great sage for King Arthur and, um, you know, resurrected by C.S. Lewis in the book, That Hideous Strength, where he played an awesome role. If you've ever had a chance, if you have not had a chance to read that book, it's the third in the in a trilogy that C.S. Lewis wrote that is not as well known uh, as Narnia. But let me tell you something. He writes this book in the early 40s. And if you pick it up and read it or go listen to it, your mind will explode. You'll be like, Oh, how did C.S. Lewis know it was coming? But I digress. He resurrected Merlin in that in that book, and it was fantastic. When I say the Godfather, you know the the in episode one, the Godfather, the original, he has become a sage. And while he's super sad and disappointed that Michael, you know, chooses to enter the life that he didn't want for him, in the end of the first movie. You, you really see him imparting so much wisdom into his son who is listening and lapping it up. And that's a great example because his, the son that was supposed to take over, Sonny, is really, he's irrational. He's not a good king. He's, he's led by his emotions and temper, um, but Michael is not. And his father realizes, okay, I don't want this for my son, Michael, but I'm going to pour into him. So is a twisted an example of that is a <laughs> family of crime. Uh, he's a great sage. We, we've not, listeners, we have not talked through these. I, I'm actually astounded at how deep Jay knows the Godfather. I had no idea you're a Godfather fan. Um, two more for you. Gandalf. I to- oh, Gandalf is the ultimate sage, right? And if you've, if you've read the series, it, it comes through more in the books than in the movie. He is the architect of the entire journey. And in the end, they celebrate him, you know, without Gandalf. This couldn't have happened. John Eldridge actually points this out in the book, I think, as a matter of fact, in the Sage chapter, talking about in the return of the king, how they have Gandalf crown the king. And, you know, this is going to be his last great adventure and it likely carries him into his thing. But yeah, Gandalf is like the ultimate example of the Sage. And then the final Sage, which may may be weird because of the gray hair piece, but oh, yes, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hatred. Hatred <laughs> leads to suffering. I mean, Yoda is a great sage. He's got like two gray hairs, right? But Yoda is a great sage. And Yoda is a great example of the question you were asking earlier in my mind of the sage who waits for the student to ask. Yoda's not going to force his opinion on anybody. And he doesn't force himself on Luke. And, 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 and there's this one, actually the greatest scene, I think, 
that that articulates the wisdom of a sage is when Luke is just like done. He's like, it cannot be done. And and Yoda doesn't say anything. He just, you know, Luke trying to raise his spider out of the lake. He's like, it can't be done. It's impossible. And Yoda just doesn't say anything. And he does it. And he sets it on the ground. And that's it. And like, that is wisdom where sometimes the sage realizes, I can't tell you. You have to see it. And I'm going to show you. Or on the flip side, I've got to let you learn on your own, right? And there's there's plenty of those things. I mean, so many more characters came to mind there that aren't sages, but are on their way. I mean, I think of Aragon, King. I think of um, Morpheus. I think of, you know, the, the warriors out there, the loops themselves. I mean, there's just so many characters that I would encourage our listeners to kind of go through your suite, go-to characters. Uh, Braveheart, right? Uh, Gladiator. Like, what? where are they in their stages of manhood, just as you continue to reflect on these on these moral manhood stages? You know, Chica, there's one example there you talked about, back to Star Wars, and and for those who might be listening, you're like, Star Wars, that's kind of the occult and this and that. Like, just thinking through the example, there's a, an exchange between Yoda and Luke where Luke is starting to realize his powers, and he realizes through his power to basically see into the Force, oh my gosh, my friends are in trouble. I need to leave. And Yoda says to him, you shouldn't leave. You should stay. That will work itself out. You don't need to go. Because Luke's like, he's a warrior. And he's like, I got to go. It's on me. If I don't go and rescue them, like it's not going to work out. And Yoda's actually like, it will work out. And you should stay here. And Yoda's speaking out of his wisdom. But he also realizes Luke's not going to listen. And he lets him go, realizing sometimes you have to let people go and stub their toe like luke felt like i have to go and help my friends loyalty warrior and he he couldn't see the bigger picture that there's other people that will help them your job is to stay right here and learn and it disrupts luke's walk and it and it creates some chaos for luke because he's not a fully formed jedi when he leaves um, and he does have to come back he, he does have to come back I've, I've been thinking through this idea of as being a king can I be both king and sage, or can a younger man be a sage? And I'm thinking certainly, to some extent, I mean, biblically, we have Solomon, who was a king when he wrote Proverbs. But then again, he also was anointed by God to have an extraordinary gift. Yeah, I mean, we, one of the things we talked about in Chica, we'll talk about in the recap of this series, you carry parts of the journey in every stage, and the stages blend together. Certainly, as an older king, you're transitioning to sage. But a younger man who's ahead of another man on the path can impart wisdom. And we call this discipleship. You know, you just have to be a little bit farther ahead. Now, you have to have wisdom even as a young man if you're mentoring somebody and you both encounter something you don't know what to do. You have to seek a wiser saint to help you. But yeah, you can be a sage to some extent when you're younger, if you're mentoring someone who's ahead on the path. Really, sagehood, in my view, is about a a heart willing to serve Mm. in humility and impart the wisdom that we've gained and to have enough wisdom to say, I've gained this much wisdom. I can impart this and no more. And I can only offer you what I have. And then you have to decide if that's valuable or not. Because where does a sage come from? A sage comes from the throne. And when I think through, you know, as you said at the start, I think, what were the ages you gave for the sage, Jay? You know, the sage age starts 64, 65 and moves on from there. I mean, there could be an appearance if you've been sitting on the throne for as many years as you've had that 
and and we've all seen examples of this too, where kings hold on for too long, right? And they're not willing to let go because they see that as a pride thing, almost like my kingdom is shrinking. Um, and so therefore I have to retire from this to move to that when really there's a balance, I feel that, and we're not there yet. We're, we're looking to attain that, but this pouring into others is, is extraordinarily interesting, um, because it's a choice to, to impart, impart with what you've learned on your journey. There's a great example of this in the Bible, what you were just talking about. And, you know, altogether, one of the major problems we have in the Western world is our, our Kings don't know when to step back, both male and female. And they hang on too long. It's hanging on too long is such a human trait. But let's just take the example of Solomon's son. So Solomon, God grants him wisdom. He prays for it. And he rules well for a long time. But Solomon gives into his earthly lusts. And he's got all these wives. And his kingdom, his reign ends horribly. But his son, his son has a moment where he can keep the kingdoms united. Got a moment in time. And there are some gray hairs there some real sages who are trying to give him advice and he rejects it for a council of young men. Mm. He brings his friends around him and he kicks the sages out of the, of the throne room and he takes counsel from young men, other warriors who are his handpicked people who are totally devoted to him. So their, 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 their wisdom is not clear and it all ends horribly and the kingdom is split and the history of Israel is just forever changed. But there's just this moment there if he will just choose the sages. And, and, and I want to just, you know, kind of read a scripture to you. Who is the ultimate sage? Well, Jesus Christ. Mm. God is the ultimate sage. And, and, and I love James 1.5. And I know you're a big fan of the book of James, Chica. I'm going to read this translation from the message because, because Peterson really expands on what is a, a rather short verse in most translations. James 1.5, he says, if you don't know what you're doing, Pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help, and he won't condescend you when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. Most verses just say, if you need wisdom, seek God. And, and I love the way Peterson unpacks it here, because when all else fails, if you can't find a single sage in your life, if there's no one around you that you're like, I don't, where am I going to find one? Ask Jesus. That is the whole point of this entire podcast series. He will mentor you in any phase of life. He is the ultimate sage. And, and think about Jesus. He died in his early 30s. He was a sage. He was a fully, fully developed sage in his early 30s. Sages are everywhere. It's not just about age, but it's really about life lived, wisdom gained, and humility earned, and a willingness to pour back into others. Thank you, Jay. I love that call out of James right there. So listeners, as we begin to wrap up this episode, Jay and I were speaking yesterday about doing a quick recap. So the next episode after this in the coming week will be um, around just action. What do we do at each of these stages and just a reinforcement of that? So make sure you tune back into that. But today we wrap up the sage stage, which is a tongue twister, the silver haired kind of age of our lives where we step aside and let the younger men carry the load and uh, they come to the sage to be sought after for wisdom. Maybe if you haven't done an audit on who you check in um, for wisdom, maybe this could be an awakening for you that you don't have one, that you do have one, that you do have one and they're not actually a sage. I mean, there's plenty of different ways that you could look at this angle as we all step towards attaining uh, this stage of manhood. 
Jay, would you pray for us as we close out today? And um, listeners, we, we can't wait to see you next week. Thank you for sharing this with other friends, and, and we'll speak to you in the coming episodes. Yeah, I'll pray for us. And before I do, I'd like to say, if you're listening to this and you are in this season of your life, you don't think you have anything to offer, man, we need you. If you are a sage and you feel like you've been parked, man, we need you. If you know someone who's in this stage of life and you know they have so much to offer, but they're not because they don't believe anybody wants it or nobody's there to listen, send them this podcast. We need you, sages, to pour back into us and to help us and take all the wisdom life and God have given you and put it back into play. We need you so desperately in this hour. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you for our manhood. And we thank you that you never stop fathering us, that you never stop mentoring us. And we just ask God for your wisdom as the ultimate sage, the king of our heart, the captain of our life, Lord Jesus, Walk with everyone who is hearing my words today. Bless us, awaken us, renew our minds. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.